we were uh, in our house putting up our Christmas tree a little over a week ago. It was the Friday after Thanksgiving when my wife Jenny said to me, she said, it's, it's hard to believe we're doing this again, right? That we've come to this time of the year when we're putting up the tree and putting up the decorations. And I don't know if any of you have felt like that at all with, uh, with Christmas this year, but believe it or not, it's here. All right, this is Christmas time. We've added our decorations to the building and uh, you know it's Christmas because you've noticed all of the increased traffic on Saturday afternoons now, and uh, you're reminded of that every time you open up your social media feed to one more ad uh, for something for you to buy. Many of you have Christmas parties on your schedule, maybe uh, events with your school, and maybe you've put up a tree or some other memorable decorations, maybe something like an advent calendar. And this is the advent calendar uh, that hangs in the uh, front living room of our home. We've had this ever since our kids were very little, very small, and they're not very little or small and Anymore. They've grown into big kids, but I can always count on my daughter Kate every morning when she gets up. Uh, she comes downstairs and she finds the appropriate ornament for the tree, the Advent tree, and she places it on there. And eventually, as we get to Christmas, this Advent calendar will be completely filled. And I know this. I know that some of you are all cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs whenever it comes to the fanfare of Christmas, right? You know, people like that. You live with somebody like that and you're all gung-ho. I mean, you were decorating for Christmas in June, all right, for the rest of us, uh, we need help, all right? I, I need the extras, all right? I need, a, I, I need my kids and I need the decorations. I need something like an advent calendar to remind me that Christmas is approaching. But I can't help but stop and ask once in a while, why is that? Like, why, why is it easier for some to get so excited about this season and yet even more difficult for others, for somebody like me to get into the quote-unquote kind of Christmas season? Well, I think we, uh, to begin with, I think we all know that Christmas can be a difficult time of the year for, for many, for maybe some of you. Steve talked about this a little bit last week. He talked about things like anxiety and worry and how those just get magnified uh, at a time of the year like December. But let me tell you what, what, what I struggle with. I'm just being transparent with you this morning. Here, here's something that really gets me that kind of threatens to steal away the Christmas joy, if you would, every December. It's the busyness, right? Uh, it's the, the go and the go and the go all the time. It's the rush. It's the pace. It's looking at the weeks to come and thinking, how in the world are we going to accomplish it at all? I mean, tis the season to be jolly. Uh, how about tis the season, though, to go crazy? You know, that, you know, you ever find yourself thinking, I can't wait for January to come so that we can just put it behind us and kind of get back to the norm. Jenny and I were forced to sit down and have a conversation recently, a conversation that I didn't want to have. And she she didn't want to have it either, and, but she was ready to have it, and I kept kind of avoiding her in the house until she finally trapped me, and we realized we needed to pull out our calendars and figure out how in the world are we going to do the next five to six weeks, all right? And all of the weekend events and the family gatherings and the things going on with school, I didn't want to have the conversation, but we had to have the conversation. Let's just say that it was a little overwhelming, and it's sad when you think about it. I mean, it is. I mean, a, a season that's meant to be so exciting and so encouraging, especially for those of us that call us, ourselves Christ followers, like quickly becomes overwhelming, especially when you factor in the extras and the shopping that needs to get done and all of the money to be spent and the parties to attend. And it's trying to figure out how to get to all of the homes and different family members and to keep everyone happy. And that's on top of everything else that's just going on in life. 
Christmas time or not, here's one thing I know for sure. In America, and especially right here in Hamilton County, we love our busyness, right? Isn't it true? We are really, really, really good at busyness. We wear it like a badge, all right? We display it like a trophy. Busyness is our norm in the Moomaw household. Like it's what we do. And for many, for many, busyness begins with something like our work, all right? It begins with something like what you do for a living. According to one study, 86% of men and 67% of women in the U.S. reported that they regularly work more than 40 hours a week. And while that isn't all that surprising, the same report also shows that even though most people are working more than 40 hours a week, they still don't feel like they've got enough time to get everything done that needs to get done. And that's on top of the fact that 57% of Americans use all of their vacation time, which means that many don't, but it gets better. A New York Times article noted that over the past 20 years, you know this, the invention of smartphones and iPads and laptops have allowed us to continue our work as we're on the go, when we're on vacation. The point is that we work and we work and we work and we work. The work keeps us busy, but it's not just our jobs that keep us busy. Parenting keeps you busy. Like, you know this, moms and dads, like even if you try and limit your kid to one thing or two things, you know how band quickly turns into competitions and an extra lesson and how things like rec sports give way to travel sports. And, and if you're a student today, you might be working really hard at trying to balance all of the things that come with being a student, but add to that the musical that you're a part of and the job that you work and trying to be involved with something like GSM. If you're single, you know how unfair it is when people assume that because you're single, you must have all of this time in the world and you don't. And some of you know the added responsibility of taking care of aging parents. You, you've got people in your home that are sick. You've, and then there's all the things that we waste time on. We've got lots of these things like social media and video games and binging on favorite shows. Like any of these all right, contribute to the busyness that rules over our lives. And they're not all bad things, all right? Don't hear me wrong. I mean, there are many good things, good things that we do that contribute to the busyness. But do we ever stop and ask, what do we gain from the busyness? Like, what, what are we gaining from it? Like, how often do we stop, call time out, and evaluate this busyness that continues and rules so often our lives. John Mark Comer is a pastor out in the Oregon area, Portland to be uh, exact. He's written this great book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Anybody read the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry? A few of you around the room, maybe you've heard of it. Great Christmas gift idea. If you've got a reader uh, in your life, this is a great book. I'd highly recommend it. In it, uh, Comer confronts our busyness by drawing thing, our attention uh, to, to how it's taking this toll on our lives and on our relationships and even on our health. He lists things like the increased irritability and, and hypersensitivity of people, our, our restlessness. We can't sit still. We've always got to be doing something. We're always on the move. There's workaholism. There's emotional numbness. There's out-of-order priorities. People aren't taking care of their bodies the way they used to. There's these uh, escapist behaviors that we find in our busyness. There's uh, a slippage, he says, of spiritual disciplines. We, we isolate ourselves from people and from real relationships. We disconnect from God and, and from others, and I'd add one thing to his list, that things like busyness, especially at this time of the year, has the potential of distracting us or causing us to miss the true meaning of Christmas and everything it was intended to do and represent in our lives. But what if I told you it doesn't have to be like that? 
Like, what if I told you that God has something better for you and for me, a better way, a, a better plan for how to enter into your day? And, and even when things are busy, and even when you've got a week ahead of you that you don't know how you're going to get through, that that God offers a way, like something that has the potential not only to change your week, but to change your life and potentially the way you experience Christmas this December. Let's look at it together. If you've got a Bible, I want to invite you to open it to Luke chapter 10 in the New Testament. Luke chapter 10. Last week we started this series called Travel Light because we know that in a crowded, busy holiday season, it's common for us to feel weighed down by things like worry and busyness and loneliness and despair. And so our goal over the next few weeks leading up and through Christmas is to help everyone see that so often the weight, the extra baggage that we carry in our lives was weight that God never intended for us to carry to begin with. And and so his solution for us, the solution to the problem is simple, that we learn to travel light by letting go of some of these things that, that life tries to pile on us and see Jesus for who he really is and see Jesus for what he can mean and represents for our lives. And so last week, Steve talked about letting go of things like worry and anxiety. We're going to talk about loneliness next week, but today it's busyness and what it means to let go or to take a different step into our busyness in the midst of the Christmas chaos. And to do that, we're going to turn our attention to this brief interaction that Jesus had with two sisters to help us see how we can let go of the busyness by instead focusing our time on the one who truly matters above anything else. And so Luke chapter 10 is where we meet two sisters, two women by the names of Mary and Martha. And they're mentioned in multiple places in the Bible because they were really, really close friends with Jesus. In fact, such good friends with Jesus that John chapter 11 tells the story about the day Jesus raised their brother Lazarus from the dead. It's pretty safe to say Jesus was on their Christmas card list. You do something like that, you're going to get a card, all right? But we want to pick it up in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Here's what Luke records about this particular event and eventually this interaction. Again, Luke 10, verse verse 38, Luke writes this, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Now, who's on their way? Luke tells us that Jesus is on his way along with his disciples. And that likely means at least the 12, the 12 that we know as the disciples, but it could also mean other disciples and followers that were also following Jesus from place to place. And they're on their way to Jerusalem, but not before stopping in this place, this city, this town called Bethany. And Jerusalem, located here in the very center of Israel, this Bethany that we're referring to is just a couple of miles outside of Jerusalem. You can sit on the Mount of Olives, basically, and look down from Bethany into Jerusalem. Two miles would be the distance, say, from here to Noblesville High School, if you would. This was a uh, kind of a ground zero. Mary and Martha's house, if you remember from our John study, was kind of like a base for Jesus, a home for Jesus, whenever he and his disciples came into Jerusalem. And this must have been really exciting for Mary and Martha to have Jesus in their house one once again, but if you've ever had guests over, you know the pressure of preparing your home for a guest. Imagine knowing Jesus is coming over for dinner, all right? Verse 39, Luke records this, that 
Martha had a sister called Mary. Now, this shouldn't be confused with Mary, the mother of Jesus. That's a different Mary. But Mary and Martha are sisters. But Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, verse 40, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Can you just hear it? Like, I'm not adding much emotion there, but, you know, Jesus, we're so glad you're here. We're so glad you stopped for a visit. Would you please tell my sister to get off her rear and get in the kitchen and help me in getting the meal ready? Like, sounds like some of our families, you know, at Christmas time. Martha's a little stressed out, maybe a little annoyed, and she's basically calling her sister Mary out, hoping that Jesus will do something about it. Bible professor Mark Moore points out that the phrase, tell her to help me, can literally be translated as tell her to do her fair share. It's the same phrase that's used to describe two oxen working together under the same yoke. And at first glance, we want to side with Martha. Why not? Right? She's got good things in mind. She's got a parade of 13 plus people that have just tracked into her house, all right, showed up for a meal, which you know if you've had guests over means the bathrooms need to be checked. There's random socks laying all over the place. The dishwasher needs to be empty. If you appreciate things like a squeaky clean house and welcoming guests, like you want to jump to Martha's defense, you know the pressure of things that need to be done, but there's something really, really simple and yet very, very powerful in this story. Something that can make a difference in your life and in my life, in our busyness, in the way we approach our busyness, especially at a time like Christmas. And what is it? We'll look back at verses 39 and 40 again. But this time I want you to pay close attention to two very different reactions Mary and Martha had towards Jesus. Again, verse 39 says, Martha had a sister called Mary. What's she doing? Who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Some translations basically say sitting at the Lord's feet. Now, in light of everything else going on in the story, we might assume that Mary's trying to get out of the responsibilities. She doesn't want to be a part of the work. She just wants to watch the game, all right? Not be a good host. But again, there's a really, really important detail, and it's easy to miss, and it's found in this phrase, sitting at the Lord's feet. See, in the first century, rabbis or teachers like Jesus would sit on pillows, or they would sit in Uh, shorter to the ground chairs while they taught, while they taught their disciples. The disciples then would sit on the ground on mats around him, and that's how the phrase sitting at his feet became an idiom for learning from the rabbi. And so when Luke describes Mary as sitting at the feet of Jesus, he's also pointing out that Mary was a devoted disciple and follower of Jesus too, which means for us that Mary's posture is an indicator that she's not going to miss the chance to get as close to Jesus as possible. Now compare that to Martha. Verse 40 says, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that need to be made. Let's be clear about something. Martha's not bad. 
She's not taking Jesus for granted. In fact, she opened her home to Jesus. She's doing everything that she can to be sure that Jesus and his disciples feel loved, feel appreciated. In fact, there's a saying in the Mishnah. The Mishnah is uh, simply a a commentary on the, the Jewish Torah that went something like this. Let your house be a meeting place for the rabbis and cover yourself in the dust of their feet and drink in their words thirstily. Martha's doing that. She is opening her home. She is doing everything that she can to make sure that Jesus and his friends, her friends, these disciples feel as welcomed as they can. But note Luke's word choice. Martha was distracted. You know this, distracted means to be pulled away. It means to be dragged away. She's preoccupied. She's distracted. She's too busy for Jesus. And typically, it's not good to be described as someone who's distracted. I mean, if you've got kids, if you've got young drivers in your house, what have you talked to them about? You've talked to them about the dangers of distracted driving. Like, don't drive while you're on your phone. You might hurt yourself. You might hurt someone else. You might kill someone else because you're distracted, whether you and I are ready to admit it or not. Our constant going and pace and busyness, let's just call it distracted living. We got all this distracted living And it really can be quite dangerous too. And the implication here in Luke 10 is that Martha wants to be with Jesus, but she's distracted. She's doing the good things, but there's a difference between doing good things and doing the best thing. And that's just how busyness works in our lives. That's how distracted living works because You know, can you imagine all the times when you're with the people that you love, when you're sitting with your family, when you're with the person you want to be with, but that text message comes in because you got somebody else that wants to talk or there's another event that gets added to the calendar and now you're double booked and you've got the unopened voicemails to fit in and oh, by the way, your wife just called to say the water heater is leaking or you got a kid that's sick, your boss is calling you once again and oh, now there's one more tournament and all the other teammates are going to the tournament and so how could you dare miss? There are countless distractions that come at us, that fly at us all day long, some more urgent than others, and they're not all bad. But add them to our busy lives, the busy lives that we keep, and any one of these distractions threaten to pull us away from something more important in that moment. Luke tells us that Mary, that, excuse me, that Martha was distracted, but in fairness, it's not like she was distracted by Facebook, right? Or that she was doing Christmas shopping on Amazon, like she's doing good things, but potentially overlooking the best thing. And the same is true of us. The same is true of me. If we're not careful, like the distractions, the, the never-ending busyness, the always-on-the-go has the potential to cause us to miss out on good things, including Christmas and what this really means and represents for each of us. Because if we just need to stop there and remind ourselves Christmas, right? It it means this, we have a savior. Like there is a savior, like that's why we did what we did this past Tuesday and giving out all of those gifts. That's why we're going to give away this offering in January to all of our ministry partners. We believe there is a savior, that God sent his son Jesus Christ into this world, that Jesus came to be with us, to live with us, that he gave his life on the cross and because he died and rose from the dead, you and I, we have daily access to God through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit and we are invited into a way of life and living in perspective that is different and changes everything. 
But if we're not careful, the busyness and all of the distractions have the potential to eat us alive. John Mark Comer says this about our distractions and about our busyness in his book. He says, hurry is violence on the soul. Uh, He references Corey Ten Boom, who once said that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. There's truth in that, Comer says. Both sin and busyness have the same effect. They cut off your connection to God, to other people, and even to your own soul. And once again, that doesn't mean these are bad things the things that keep us on the go. It's not bad to let your kids be involved with things. We do that. It's not bad to to go and be with your family. We're we're adding that in this month. It's okay to work hard and to make most of the skills that we've been given. It's good to have a church family. It's good to be involved with your church family and to serve with your church family. But too often, and this is part of my problem, we get so busy, we don't slow down, we get so distracted, and we take little to no time. For Jesus. And if we're not careful, we can fool ourselves into believing that as long as we're even doing things for Jesus, that's all that matters. I mean, Martha was working really, really hard for Jesus. But the point here, the point is the contrast between Martha's response and Mary's response. Martha was working really hard for Jesus, but at the expense of being close to him. Mary, on the other hand, she's sitting at his feet. And the point of the encounter is that there is nothing in all of this world that can replace yours and my time with Christ. In fact, all of our doing for Jesus means nothing if we aren't regularly, daily, sitting at the feet of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen again to how Jesus responds to Martha in spite of her distractions. He says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Now, don't misunderstand Jesus here. He's not being cruel or harsh with Martha. He loves her. Remember, Martha's doing a good, honorable thing by opening her home up to Jesus. But at some point, her desire to work for Jesus distracted her from her desire to be with Jesus. And I think that's the trap that we can easily fall into. I think that's the trap we can fall into even as followers of Jesus with good intentions. I like the way Pastor J.D. Greer calls it this great myth. The great myth is just, it's just this, that, that our busyness, we, we allow our busyness to sometimes equal faithfulness. You know, if I keep really busy, And if I keep doing this, if I keep doing that, if I allow my kids into this and allow them into that, there's this really dangerous myth and it might be one of the greatest hindrances to followers of Jesus, to the American church today and that is our busyness. Even our busyness for God can trick us into feeling like we're being faithful to him when in reality that busyness might be just one more way we're trying to fool ourselves into, well, thinking better about ourselves than we really are. And that busyness is, it's making us very distracted. And Jesus seems to confront this type of thinking in Martha. He says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. Depending on the translation of the Bible you're reading, uh, you can also read the words anxious uh, and troubled here. But no matter the words that you use, again, the idea is that this never-ending need for busyness and distractions, it might actually say something about us. Like, could it be? that Martha was afraid that the work wouldn't get done and it might reflect poorly on her, her reputation. Or, or maybe she was afraid that no one else would step up and do it, and so she must. 
Like those same kinds of fears can creep into our lives as well. Like the people pleaser in us that's afraid that we'll let someone down and so we keep saying yes and we're never willing to say no or our fear of failure makes us feel like we have to prove ourselves and so we, we find worth in our going all the time. It's our fears of trying to keep up keep up with the people around us, keep up with the status quo, and so we're always chasing after the next big thing, or maybe it's the fear that if we slow down, it will force us to confront or deal with some things that we'd really rather not face if we don't have to. Listen again one more time to how Jesus addresses Martha's busyness. He says, you're, you're worried and upset about many things, verse 41, verse 42, but few things are needed or indeed only one, Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus says that Mary chose something better and according to Jesus, she chose the one thing that is more important than anything else. And what is it? It's Jesus. I mean, she's like, it's Jesus above all else in the midst of everything going on right now, like Mary prioritized her time with Jesus, sitting at the feet of Jesus above anything else. And in the process, Jesus praised her for making the better choice. There's a simple yet potentially life-changing lesson here in this story. It's true for me. It's true for you. It's true for all of us. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter how busy you may be, maybe you're not busy at all, this simple lesson can change your life. It can change your week. It can change really our approach to these next few weeks as we lead up to Christmas. And it's just this. It's realizing that the time we spend with Jesus is more valuable to Him and to us than anything else in this world that there is nothing more important. There is no greater way to start your day. There is no greater way to do your day. There is no better way to end your day than time alone sitting at the feet of Jesus. And the message of Christmas is that Jesus wants to be with us. Like the manger means that God put on skin, that he came to earth in the form of a manger and the truth of the Holy Spirit, all right, living inside of any of us that have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ is this reality, this promise that you and I can actually get closer to Jesus than even Mary did on the day that she sat at his feet. See, the powerful message of Christmas is that Jesus wants to be with you and that there is nothing more valuable to him and really to us than sitting at his feet each day. I like the way that uh, Warren Wearsby uh, talks about the significance of this time alone with Jesus. He says, unless we meet Christ personally and privately each day, we will soon end up like Martha, busy but not blessed. We could spend weeks, right? We could. We could spend weeks talking about busyness and distractions and how to remove things and how to have a better calendar and live simpler lives, but who's got time for that? We don't have time for that today. Here's what's most important. Like what has the potential of influencing all of those things? What can we learn from Mary's posture? That learning to rest in Jesus, to be with Jesus, even in the busyness, even in this month leading up to Christmas, like there's nothing like it. The pressure is to be like Martha and to allow the busyness to rule our lives and the way that we spend our time. Again, busyness distracts us from what matters most, the solution. The solution is really very simple. 
It's carving out time. It's setting aside time each day to prepare your mind and heart in such a way and to be alone at the feet of our Savior with Jesus Christ. And what does that look like? Where does that begin? How do we begin? Well, my challenge for you today is is really pretty simple. And that is that if you're not doing this already, if you're ready to try something different, if you want a different approach, the challenge is, well, it's just this. It's to make a daily appointment and spend time at the feet of Jesus and start tomorrow to just say, you know what, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make every effort to carve out some time each day. It works the best for me in the mornings. But what would it look like just to take 10 minutes and be quiet and be alone with Jesus? Like again, one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life, ever made in my spiritual journey, and I know this is true for many of you, is daily uninterrupted time with Jesus Christ. And I'm not perfect at it, all right? I don't typically hit seven days a week on this, all right? I miss days, I take them for granted, but I also know the difference I know the difference in starting my day with Jesus versus not and spending alone time even for a few minutes just reading from his word, time alone in prayer, just learning to sit quietly and know that he is there with me. Like we need it, we need it more than we know. Like some of us, so many of us, we're not taking this time. We're not carving out this regular time. We don't make time to sit with him. We don't read our Bibles. We don't take time to pray. And maybe you have, maybe you've, maybe you've had this experience in your life and you, you gave it a chance and you, you fell off. Like what, what would it look like to say, you know what, this is a great reminder today. I wanna be more like Mary. And I'm gonna carve out time, even time today or beginning tomorrow to be alone with Jesus. And, and if you've gotten sloppy to say, you know, I want to get back to that time. And if you're not already doing this or don't even know what in the world would I do with that time, I want to challenge you as we get ready for Christmas to make an appointment with Jesus. Start tomorrow. Start your day, even 10 minutes, and just spend time alone with Jesus. And as a way of providing something to guide you, I want to point you to a five-day Advent study it'll take you three or four minutes if you go slow, all right? You can stretch it out into 10. But many of you have heard of the YouVersion app. Uh, the YouVersion app is a great app that a church in Oklahoma has created that is full of different translations of the Bible, different studies, different devotionals. It's free. It's got a ton of Advent studies. I picked one. It's a five-day study. We've gone ahead and linked it on our church app. You can also find it on our church website. It's a five-day Advent plan that's just simply called Anticipating. Christmas. And it's just a way of helping you. And if you don't like that plan, find another one, all right? Again, there's plenty of them out there. But what would it look like for you to say, you know what, starting tomorrow, I'm going to take 10 minutes a day, five days this week, and just spend some time alone sitting with Jesus. And you make an appointment. And if the morning doesn't work for you, pick a better time. And I can't promise you that it won't be challenging because it will. I can't promise you that every day will feel the same or you'll respond to it in the same way maybe as the day before, but I can promise you this. You take time to be alone with Jesus and he will be there. He will meet you there and he will hear from you. And I pray that you might hear from him in ways like you never have before. Let's not be people that just attend church. Let's be disciples who wouldn't dare start a day without first spending time at the feet of our leader, our Savior, 
our friend Jesus Christ. And Advent's a great time to get started in that. Advent is the season, right, of anticipation. We know that something is coming. In fact, it's translated from this Latin word Advent. It means important arrival, approach, or coming. It's a time that's meant to remind us of all God has done in this anticipation for what is still to come. And so it's our way of remembering that God is with us, that He is for us, and that He is going to come again. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, who lived and gave his life, you raised him from the dead, that you've sent your Holy Spirit, the very presence of Jesus, to live inside any of us that have put our faith and trust in him. And I need more time with him. We need more time with him. We need more time with you. Thank you for being a personal God who daily invites us in your willingness to lead to us and speak to us your grace for me when I've been gone so long let this week and these next few weeks prepare and transform our hearts maybe in ways like we've never experienced before and maybe for someone here today that has never put their faith and trust in Jesus before that they might encounter him right now today We thank you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.